Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I am actually really excited to talk about this movie. Yeah, I am too. This this week's movie was a total surprise. Absolutely. Uh, it was the one, uh, one of two that I was just not dreading. That's the wrong word, but there, there are a couple movies here that aren't really in our general wheelhouse of go-to horror movies. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not one that we would have elected to watch, uh, but but that's the fun thing. I think you talked about this last week, about how doing this podcast, we kind of have to get out of our quote-unquote horror comfort zone yeah, <laughs> and, and see some things that we wouldn't normally, and that's how we're going to find some of these great hidden gems and I think that's what happened with this one. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I was completely shocked by uh, how much I actually was interested in this movie th the whole way through. Yeah, and, and the thing for us is we are not generally into period piece films. Uh, it's just, it's kind of not our jam. But uh, I, I really, really found myself enthralled by this movie. I was fascinated by it. Yeah, I think that that just kind of goes to show you that as long as you've got a good story to tell, that's all that matters. Because yeah, like like you said, I I normally just just can't get into them. I, I either fall, you know kind of find myself falling asleep, or I just sit there on my phone and literally miss the whole thing. And then you know I I feel like I wasted mine and everybody else's time, <laughs> basically. But yeah, I this one the story was interesting enough that it just kept me fully engaged and and for a story like this to be able to do that I feel like it is pretty pretty amazing for me <laughs> well obviously we're very excited to talk about it uh but first just to recap a few months ago Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone the only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because, yeah, the theater, it moves around. It's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And this week, we are in the middle of a month-long series simply called A24, where we celebrate the production company that's brought us some of the biggest independent horror films of the last decade, proving that sometimes unique and different is scary in the best way possible. It's it's We're only two weeks in and it's been so fun so far. I'm having a blast. <laughs> of course, before we jump into everything, now's the time that I give you the spoiler warning. As always, if you want to check out this movie, we were able to find it on Prime Video. Similar to last week, it was only available to rent from what we could find. We couldn't find it streaming anywhere. Um, but 
we definitely recommend giving it a try. If, if, if you have been avoiding it thus far for the same reasons we have, uh, you know, I, I, I say give it a try. I, I really think it's, it's a story that I think can easily draw you in if you can look past, you know, like the, the uh, verbiage in the movie and, you know, the dramatics of it all sometimes. <laughs> I think you can get into it. But I also know, believe me, firsthand that sometimes you just can't get into things and that's more than okay. We are here to spoil and break down everything and and that's just what we're going to do. So if you want to watch it, go for it. If you don't, that's fine too. We're here either way. But now's your warning. So here on out, that's on you, dude. <laughs> Spoilers abound. <laughs> uh, another thing that I've heard that has kept people away from this movie is they have heard from others that it can be a little bit difficult to follow. Uh, there's a lot of symbolism going on. You kind of have to have a basic understanding of their belief system at the time. Uh, so it can be a little overwhelming. And I, I think we kind of mentioned last week about how sometimes this type of horror isn't what people are looking for. They just want the fun slasher, run around, kill everybody, and those are great. Uh, but this is another one of those films that you kind of have to work a little harder for. It's You have to think about it a little bit. And those can be super fun, too. I had a blast figuring this one out. Uh, I kind of had to sit with it a bit. I did have to look a couple of things up to get some clarification. Uh, but I was able to follow along enough that I could figure out exactly what was going on. And I, I think I've come up with my own theory. So I'm really interested to talk about it. Yeah, I I am too. And I think uh, you brought up a good point. A lot of times with these movies, you know, outside of the fact that maybe people are avoiding them for, you know, the fact that they are period piece or that it's simply horror or the, you know, nudity or whatever the reason. I think a lot of times these kind of indie or art house shot, you know, style horror can be intimidating to people that are just generally here for, you know, like you said, the kind of common uh, horror-based slashers and, um, you know, paranormal and aliens and stuff like that. It can be, I, I'm speaking even for myself that sometimes I see these movies come out and I'm like, I, I, I'm intrigued, but I don't want to feel like an idiot when I walk out of the theater. You know what I mean? Sure. And so, yeah, I feel like, again, that's another positive thing that's coming out of, of kind of for lack of better words, forcing myself to watch these movies because I'm kind of facing that kind of self-inflicted weird fear that I have of like feeling stupid when I come out of movies. <laughs> and I haven't thus far. Like, I mean, yeah. obviously I had already seen Hereditary, but even this one, like while I, there was definitely some points in the movie that I know I turned around to you and I was like, uh, literally no idea what's happening, <laughs> but I'm fully engaged. Uh, and that's, I think the fun of it is if it's good enough, even while you're in it, in the thick of it, if you don't know what's going on, it's still good. And I still mm -hmm. had a good time. And it wasn't until afterwards, like you said, that I really kind of molded over and I was kind of sussing through things and talking to you and hearing your theories definitely helped. So, yeah, I, I think if, if that's maybe a stopping point for you, uh, similar to myself, maybe, maybe give it a try uh, after you hear us out about it. And maybe it'll be a little less intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you've already seen it. And at the end, you're like, I have no idea what just happened here. <laughs> uh, maybe we can help walk you through it a bit. Uh, but I'm ready to just have some fun and talk about it. Well, let's, let's do it. <laughs> 
All right. Well, let's get to the wiki. So The Witch, subtitled A New England Folktale, is a 2015 period supernatural horror film written and directed by Robert Eggers in his feature directorial debut. The film stars Anya Taylor-Joy, Ralph Innocent, and Harvey Scrimshaw. Eggers, who was born in New Hampshire, was inspired to write the film by his childhood fascination with witches and frequent visits to the Plymouth Plantation as a schoolboy, which is a living history museum that attempts to replicate the original settlement of the Plymouth colony established in the 17th century by the English colonists who became known as the Pilgrims. And we will quickly learn that's exactly what this story is about. Eggers wanted the set constructed to be as historically accurate as possible. Therefore, the production team worked extensively with British and American museums, as well as consulting experts on 17th century British agriculture. They even brought in a Thatcher and Carpenter from Virginia and Massachusetts, respectively, who had the proper experience building in the style of that period. In order to give the film an authentic look, Eggers shot only with the natural light available outdoors, while interior shots were lit using only candles. The historical authenticity is extended to the cast wardrobe as well, as costume designer Linda Muir consulted 35 books in the clothes of the common people in Elizabethan and early Stuart England series to plan the costumes, which were made only with the wool, linens, or hemp that would have been available at the time. Eggers initially wanted to film in New England, but the lack of tax incentives meant moving the production to a location near Kiosk, Ontario, Canada. But when it came to casting, Eggers hopped the pond to England since he wanted authentic accents to represent a family newly arrived in Plymouth. Mark Corvin wrote the film's score, which aimed to be, quote, tense and dissident while focusing on minimalism. Eggers vetoed the use of any electronic instruments and, quote, didn't want any traditional harmony or melody in the score, end quote. And so Corvin chose to create music with atypical instruments, including the nickel harpa and the waterphone. I didn't even know those were instruments. They sound like Dr. Seuss instruments. <laughs> Corvin knew directors like to retain a degree of creative control, so he relied on loose play centered on improvisation so that Eggers could move notes around wherever he wanted. How amazing is that as yeah, a director no just to be able to say, I would like the music to crescendo right here at this moment. And they just, they on the fly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The Witch had its world premiere at the 2015 Sundance Film Festival on January 27, 2015. The film would go on to gross $25.1 in the United States and Canada with a worldwide total of $40.4 million. On Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 90%, with an average rating of 7.8 out of 10. The website's critical consensus reads, quote, As thought-provoking as it is visually compelling, The Witch delivers a deeply unsettling exercise in slow-building horror that suggests great things for debuting writer-director Robert Eggers, end quote. While Justin Chang, writing for Variety, said of the film, quote, a fiercely committed ensemble and an exquisite sense of historical detail 
conspire to cast a highly atmospheric spell in The Witch, a strikingly achieved tale of a mid-17th century New England family's steady descent into religious hysteria and madness, end quote. However, some critics, as well as audiences, were less pleased with the film. CinemaScore reports an average audience rating of C- on an A-plus to F scale, and HitFix writer Chris Eggertston, although he admitted the film got under his skin profoundly, he also argued that it, quote, did not have the moment-to-moment audience-pleasing shocks that moviegoers have become accustomed to, thanks to movies like Sinister, The Purge, Paranormal Activity, and every other Blumhouse and Platinum Dooms title in the canon, end quote. Even horror author Brian Keane put in his two cents about the film on social media, stating, quote, The Witch is a gorgeous, thoughtful, scary horror film that 90% of the people in the theater with you will be too stupid to understand, end quote. Wow, that is... Kind of a dick thing to say. (laughs) A little harsh. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, like we said, it can get a little complicated, but uh, you're not stupid. No. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes this is just more than people want in their horror. They don't want to work for it. They're there to relax and just have a good time. And so if if that's the case and this isn't for you, then you skip this one. Uh, But... If you're, if you're me and just truly have passion for beautiful filmmaking that's backed by an incredible story, I gotta recommend this one. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. We, we haven't even gotten into it and all we can speak are the highest accolades. <laughs> <laughs> I promise we are actually going to break this one down. <laughs> Before we do get into that breakdown, the synopsis of The Witch says... In 1630 New England, panic and despair envelops a farmer, his wife, and their children when the youngest son, Samuel, suddenly vanishes. The family blames Thomason, the oldest daughter, who was watching the boy at the time of his disappearance. With suspicion and paranoia mounting, twin siblings Mercy and Jonas suspect Thomason of witchcraft, testing the clan's faith, loyalty, and love to one another. All right, are you ready? I am ready. Well, let's talk about it. So our movie starts, and you can always tell when it's an independent film because there are 10,000 production company logos (laughs) that have to flash up on the screen before we even get to our title card. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 10,000, that's obviously an exaggeration, (laughs) Uh, but they're seriously like seven or eight of them. Yeah. Uh, But we do finally get there. This is, of course, The Witch or The Witch, a New England folktale. Uh, and that statement right there, a New England folktale, uh, really tells you what you are about to experience. This is a folktale. It seems pretty far-fetched, and there's no proof that it is actually based on real people, but it is definitely the type of morality tale that would have been passed on through the settlements of early colonial America to keep God-fearing Christians in the Lord's favor. Now, before we get too far into it, it should be said that you know we tout no religious affiliation here. This is strictly a movie podcast, and our beliefs and everyone else's beliefs really don't have any place here. We're just here to talk about scary movies and have fun. That being said, obviously there is a huge connection to religion and the Christian beliefs brought to this country by the Puritans in the early 17th century. So we'll be talking about those beliefs in the sense that you need to have a basic understanding of them 
to really interpret what's going on in this movie. But we'll try to keep it as light as possible and not weigh you down with too much of the book learning stuff. Uh, plus, keep in mind, my knowledge is very limited on this particular time period, but there was enough rattling around in my noggin that I was able to follow along. So take that for what it's worth. If I get anything wrong, please, by all means, let me know, uh, but I'll do my best. <laughs> also, it's worth noting that this movie was inspired by many actual folk tales, fairy tales, and written accounts of historical witchcraft including journals, diaries, and court records. So much of the dialogue comes directly from these period sources. In other words, they use ye old English when speaking, <laughs> uh, which for me can sometimes get a little difficult to understand. Uh, so just know I'm going to be paraphrasing a good majority of what's going on. Thank you for that. <laughs> All right, well, back to it. We open on a close-up of a young girl uh, around age 12, and she is in a courtroom listening to her father testify. We are in New England in the 1630s, and settler William and his family, pregnant wife Catherine, maternal twins Mercy and Jonas, about age six, son Caleb, around age nine, and oldest daughter Thomason, the young girl we opened on. Uh, and they have been called to appear in court to determine whether or not they are allowed to stay in the colony due to a religious dispute. William refuses to admit any wrongdoing, and the governor asks him if he's really going to let his prideful conceit force them to kick him and his family out. Basically, what he's saying is, if you'll just admit that you broke the law, you and your family can stay here. You'll take your punishment and everything will be fine. But dad pretty much tells them all to fuck off. Uh, <laughs> so, the gov so the governor tells them to get to stepping. Well, William calls for his family to follow, which they do obediently, all except for Thomason, who stands there motionless, almost unable to accept their fate. It isn't until younger brother Caleb calls for her and pulls her away that she's able to leave. We next see the family and all their belongings loaded onto their horse-drawn wagon as it pulls away from the colony with Thomason looking back in despair on what was once their home. So Thomason is played by actress Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, most horror fans will recognize her as Casey Cook from M. Night Shyamalan's Split, along with his follow-up Glass. But she's also in Edgar Wright's new horror film, Last Night in Soho, which comes out this October, and I am super excited about that one. But she's also been slated to star in the remake of Nosferatu, which is also being directed by Robert Eggers, who directed The Witch. But don't get your hopes up for that one just yet. I couldn't even find any reports that that one has gone into pre-production yet. But with Eggers behind the camera, ooh. I, I'm excited for that one, too. Yeah, that could that could have some real potential, for sure. Also, the family's father, William, is played by actor Ralph Innocent. Uh, he's got some creepy credits. He was in From Hell, Strange, Intruders, and Brahms' The Boy 2. We never saw the second one. No, we haven't. I liked the first one. You really liked the first one. Uh, when they announced that they were doing a second one, I just, I, I could not fathom how. Yeah, I don't think any of us could. We were like, but, but why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, if everything was explained, we're good. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how it's possible that we go back. 
we're not talking about that movie, so I won't spoil that one, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, the only other interesting casting note here is actually the dude playing the governor caught my eye. You know, when you see someone in a movie and you're like, what do I know them from? Mm -hmm. Basically, the answer for this guy is everywhere. This is actor Julian Richings, and I guarantee you've probably seen this guy in something before. If you look up his IMDb profile, his filmography lists 109 horror titles alone oh my gosh 26 of which are actual feature films so i'm not going to sit here and list off every episode of television where he played a corpse in the background <laughs> we're just going to do those movies and 26 is definitely the longest creepy credits we've ever had for anyone which is the only reason why i'm bringing this up because that's so impressive so that's now that's our benchmark to meet we've got to try and find someone with more than 26 horror films but here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. So he was in Mimic, Urban Legend, Rats, Wrong Turn, Skinwalkers, The Last Sect, The Third Eye, Dead Silence, Saw 4, Survival of the Dead, The Conspiracy, The Last Will and Testament of Rosalind Lee, Septic Man, Ejecta, Hellmouth, A Christmas Horror Story, All Hallows Eve 2, Blood Hunters. Todd and the Book of Pure Evil, The End of the End, True Fiction, Anything for Jackson, Spare Parts, Hall, Vicious Fun, and the upcoming Compton Manor. Hoy! That's a lot. That is a lot. Of course, if you were counting, that only equaled 25, so the 26th one would, of course, be the movie we're talking about now, The Witch. That's impressive. That's very impressive. And that's just the horror movies. I mean, I... I should have looked how many total titles he had. It is a hard-working man right there. He, he deserves a nap. <laughs> I need a nap just after reading that. <laughs> well, back to it. So the family starts traveling, looking for a new homestead, as the kids start singing hymns. We see them stop and camp for the night, huddled near the campfire, as the music builds to an eerie crescendo. And nothing happens. That happens a lot in this movie. Uh, this is one of those, uh, what do they call it, like elevated horror? That's kind of like, it's more about creating this whole entire atmosphere yeah. of horror. There just isn't one specific thing to fear. Just the whole thing in general is just freaking creepy and scary. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was done very effectively with the music. Uh, it, it was... And, and not too much that it was like a bait, bait and switch where you think, oh, here comes the crescendo of music and nothing's going to happen. But he did that a couple of times, I noticed. It was like in this scene, there was one scene where he's chopping wood. Yeah. And you think something's happening and nothing does. And you're like, oh, okay. But it just gives you that sense you can never relax. Yeah. Like I always kept thinking something terrible was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like... I don't know why. I kept thinking either the brother was going to rape the sister or the father was going to rape the <laughs> daughter or just, I, I just, there was always this sense that something was about to happen and it was unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the next day we see the family in humbled prayer, kneeling on the ground as they bow to the land they've chosen to build their home, all while a choir of women warble random notes into our ear holes. Cut to many months later, and we see the homestead is now fully functional. They've got a house and a barn, some corn growing in the field, and several heads of livestock, including chickens and goats. We see Thomason is in the barn praying. 
She's making her confession, admitting that she's been slacking in her chores, not minding her parents, and a few times she's goofed off when she should have been in church, which basically means service in their home. Plus, she's broken just about all the commandments, at least in her head. In other words, she's just being a teenager. But in Thomason's eyes, and in the eyes of her family and God, she believes she has sinned and is begging the Lord for his mercy and forgiveness and to be put back on the path of righteousness. We also see that Mother Catherine has given birth to their fifth child, a son named Samuel, who Thomason comes over to take so Catherine can work in the garden. We then get a very ominous shot of the woods behind the family's property before cutting back to Thomason playing a rip-rousing game of peekaboo with baby Sam. She covers her eyes and says boo as she uncovers them and Sam giggles. She does it for a second time and a third and Sam continues giggling. But on the fourth go-round when Thomason says boo and opens her eyes, Sam is gone. She looks everywhere around for him, but he's not there. She runs off to the back of the property and screams Sam's name into those dark, ominous woods. That's a twist. This game never goes this way. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, usually it's not the baby that disappears. Yeah, that's that's not quite how the game goes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she did something wrong? <laughs> it's quite possible. Did she push that one button? You're never supposed to push that one button. <laughs> She should try putting the baby on rice and see what happens. <laughs> but first she has to find the baby. Yeah, true. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like uh, that's going to happen. So we now cut to those woods and can see someone doing some cosplay of Little Red Riding Hood moving quickly through the woods carrying baby Sam. Back at her place, we see this is not Little Red Riding Hood. This is an old crone, a witch who then murders and disembowels Sam. Thankfully, that part is either off screen or in shadow. Uh, but then she covers her naked body in his blood and fat. We then see her take more of Sam's eviscera and smears it onto her broom, which she may or may not use in a sexual manner. It's difficult to tell visually exactly what's going on during yeah. some of this ritual. Uh, so it's, I'm guessing on some things uh but then she goes outside and flies off into the night on her bloody broom now to be honest when we first watched this at this point neither one of us had any idea what the fuck was going on yeah this was definitely the first scene that i turned over to you and i was like uh mm -mm, no idea what's going on here <laughs> not a clue uh but in hindsight now having seen the whole thing i now understand what was happening here uh, and we'll talk more about that later. Well, next we are back at the family home and middle son Caleb is the first kid up for the day. We can hear mother Catherine in the background weeping and praying as Caleb unboards the windows. Caleb crosses the room but stops when he hears the disturbed sleep of Thomason. He looks down at her and sees that her nightgown has fallen open enough to expose part of her breasts and Caleb can't seem to look away. Thomason stirs again. It's appearing she's having a nightmare, and Caleb wakes her. Thomason wakes with a start, but despairs when she hears her mother's cries. Caleb tells her to go back to sleep and that everything will be okay. Oh, but it won't be. 
So Caleb goes outside and meets up with Father William in the cornfield. William tells him that too much time has passed and they can no longer waste time searching for Sam. If a wolf hasn't eaten him, then he'd at least have died of starvation by now. Besides, they have other problems to deal with, most notably that their corn harvest has gone to shit and they have nothing to eat. I would imagine that this was probably caused by ergot, which is a fungal disease very common back then that would affect corn and grains. And one of the side effects is if ingested, it can cause hallucinations. So right there, you've got yourself an out if you choose to believe that nothing supernatural from this point on happens uh, and that the family's slow descent into madness is basically just food poisoning. It's just that crazy corn. <laughs> just crazy corn. You had a little of that cookie corn, didn't you? <laughs> now you're seeing goats talking. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get some of that corn? You got, got any of that spare cookie corn on you? <laughs> Pilgrims coming up scratching. <laughs> got the itch for some of that crazy corn, man. Well, William tells Caleb he needs his help in the woods. He's been setting up traps to catch game for food for weeks, but will need Caleb's help retrieving anything they may have caught. But Caleb argues that he's not allowed to go in the woods, that his parents have forbidden it. But William says, basically, desperate times and all that. So William, the family dog failure, and Caleb, toting the longest barreled gun I've ever seen. <laughs> well, are you poking bees with it? Why is it so long? Well, they go off traipsing into the witch-infested woods. Well, back at the house, everyone is now up, and Thomason continues to hear her mother weep and pray for the return of her son, while the twins play loudly on the floor, so she decides to go outside and do her daily chores. Back out in the woods with William and Caleb, William is testing Caleb on his scripture lessons and we get a pretty intense conversation between father and son with Caleb beginning to question some of the teachings within their faith. So I'm going to try and explain the parts that I believe are important to have to understand uh, as it pertains to the rest of the story. So Caleb is worried about baby Sam's soul and ultimately his own now that they fear him dead because their father's pride got them kicked out of their colony they no longer have access to the things that being a member of a community offered such as a church with an ordained preacher who could baptize the baby so now caleb is worried that sam is in hell and that he might be next because in their faith they believe in original sin and predetermined destiny meaning since Adam and Eve ate that apple, from the jump, we are all destined to go to hell. No matter how many good deeds you do in life, unless you have been deemed by God to be saved from damnation. But the kicker is, you have no way of knowing if you are one of those ones predetermined to burn or bathe in the grace of God. All you can do is get baptized, continue to pray, resist temptations, live an obedient life dedicated to God, and then maybe, just maybe, you'll fall into his mercy. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Here's hoping. <laughs> well, they get to where William had set out the traps, but they've caught nothing. Caleb asks his father where he got the traps, and William tells him he traded Mother Catherine's silver cup for the supplies. 
Well, back on the farm, we see Thomason continue her chores. She gathers eggs from the chicken, but when she accidentally drops it, we can see a dead baby chick inside. And this is a horrible omen. Don't look at it. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> we should have just ended it right there and said things will not get better. <laughs> the baby chick tried to tell you. <laughs> Always heed baby chick's warnings. <laughs> Always listen to the chickens. <laughs> well, back in the woods, William and Caleb are making their way back. William tells Caleb not to mention a word of this to Mother about the cup and the hunting supplies. She's been too upset lately with the loss of Samuel. He'll tell her about it when her grief has passed. William calls for Fowler, who has cornered a hare. William readies his musket to take a shot, but when it goes off, it misfires, exploding in William's face, sending the hare running off into the woods. So this hare appears frequently in the film. In colonial New England, hares were often associated with witches, either as a milk hare, which stole or spoiled milk from the farm animals, or the witches themselves, who were thought to be able to turn into a hare in order to spy on and influence people. Oh, and don't worry, William is just fine, just a little black powder to the face. But it's just, it's kind of like one thing after another for this family. Mm -hmm. Well, back at the homestead, our two demon spawn twins, Mercy and Jonas, are teasing the family's billy goat named Black Philip and singing a little song. Black Philip, Black Philip, a crown grows out his head. Black Philip, Black Philip, to Nanny Queen is wed. Jump to the fence post, running in the stall. Black Philip, Black Philip, king of all. Black Philip, Black Philip, king of sky and land. Black Philip, Black Philip, king of sea and sand. We are ye servants, we are ye men. Black Philip eats the lions from the lion's den. I mean, if that doesn't tell you the goat's evil right there, you ain't paying attention. It's not exactly a top hit. <laughs> it's not a bop. <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to note that right here in my notes, um, you know, I wrote down, I always write down like the title of the movie, the year and everything, just so I like can gauge where I'm at and everything. Mm -hmm. And I wrote down like a New England folktale, but then underneath this, because I really had no idea, I said a New England folktale, more like a newly confusing movie. What, <laughs> what WTF is going on? <laughs> <laughs> just no idea. <laughs> just not a clue. <laughs> Well, let's talk about these twins for a minute, because they're just horrible. Oh, yeah. They're literally walking birth control. They are the absolute reason why we should all never have children. <laughs> <laughs> just all, just stop it. You should just stop. It ends with us, people. <laughs> they're horrible. They were just, from the jump, I would imagine, they were just, they came out bad. You know, there's no explanation. <laughs> We don't have the answers you here, guys. You don't need it. They're just bad. <laughs> well, Thomason continually asked them to stop because their teasing is freaking the goat out, but they refuse to listen to her or anyone. So frustrated, she abandons her chores and goes off to stare at the woods. Around the same time, William and Caleb return from the woods and try to settle down the commotion on the farm. William has to wrestle Black Philip to get him back in his pen and gets knocked on his ass into goat shit for his effort. So director Robert Eggers said in an interview that the best behaved animal actor in the film was actually the hare 
and that the raven and the horse were also easy to work with. But the goat, Black Philip, was reportedly difficult to train. One of the scenes when Philip lunges and struggles with William, the one we just saw, was not written in the script. It just happened. <laughs> he was just a pain in the ass. He was like, oh, shit, <laughs> this goat. So really, the, the goat was kind of lunging at these kids playing the twins. <laughs> Ralph Innocent got in the middle of it, was like, shit, get the goat back. <laughs> and the goat was bad all the way around. I mean, what can you expect? Maybe he was method. They're very ornery, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they're pesky little shits. <laughs> well, Mother has come outside, stopping her praying and crying long enough to scold everyone. Uh, where the hell have William and Caleb been? Why wasn't Thomason watching the twins? Thomason explains that she was watching them, but they don't listen to her. But Catherine won't hear of it and blames Thomason for the commotion, then demands she takes care of William's dirty clothes as punishment. She then turns to Caleb, who she obviously treats with more care than she does Thomason, and tells him she was worried sick about him. And she scolds William for being gone half the morning, letting the morning's work fall behind. This causes Caleb to speak up and lie to his mother that they had been out looking for apples all morning and didn't tell her they were going because they wanted it to be a lovely surprise for her to cheer her up. This, of course, just endears her more toward Caleb and all is forgiven. However, now William has the guilt of knowing that his son covered for his deception with another lie. Oh, those sins are piling up. Uh-oh. <laughs> So William goes off to chop wood, about the only thing he's been able to do properly for his family. So Catherine, or Mom, is played by actress Kate Dickey, and she has a few creepy credits. Uh, she was in Outcasts, Prevenge, Get Duked, and the upcoming British horror film, Shepherd. Nice. I really want to see Prevenge. I've heard that's good. I, I heard it's pretty good, too. I've also heard a lot of things lately about Get Duked. So we might have to check that one out. I don't even think I've heard of it, so I'm excited. All right. Well, down at the creek, Thomason is washing her father's clothes when Caleb comes down to fetch some water and takes the opportunity to sneak another look at Thomason's barely exposed breasts. Thomason doesn't catch on to what he's doing. She just thinks something is troubling him, and she teases and tickles him, making him laugh. But the fun doesn't last long as they think they hear something in the woods. But it just turns out to be one of those little shit twins, Mercy, minus her twin brother Jonas, spying on her older brother and sister. Thomason chastises her for playing idle while she's laboring, washing father's clothes, to which Mercy replies, it's because mother hates you. <laughs> which was hilarious, <laughs> but also sadly true. I think we both busted up laughing. <laughs> just It was so matter of fact. It's because mother hates you. I know, yeah, exactly, because it was just so... No shit's given. It was just right there out in the middle of everything. Mom hates you. Sorry. Get over it, sister. And it's the only line that even in old English still sounds like we would say today. Yes. It's because mother hates you. <laughs> so it's just this line that stood out, delivered very matter-of-factly, yeah. and we could all understand it. Oh, yeah. It's, it stands the test of time. <laughs> well, Thomason tells her she shouldn't be down there, but Mercy says it's her fault she can't come down to the creek anymore ever since Thomason lost baby Sam to the witch in the woods. Plus, Black Phillip said it was okay to come down here, but Thomason doesn't give a crap what stupid old goat tells her to do. 
Caleb insists it was a wolf that took Sam, but Mercy says it was a witch and she knows it because she's seen her before. So Thomason decides to have a bit of fun at Mercy's expense and tells her that she's the one that took Sam, that she's really the witch of the woods. Mercy tells her she's a liar and Caleb tells her not to listen to Thomason's fantasies, but Thomason continues to insist that she's the witch that she dances naked with the devil, and that's how she signed his book. So you're going to frequently hear the characters refer to signing the book or signing his book. In Puritan theology, a person recorded a covenant with the devil by signing or making their mark in the devil's book, either with pen and ink or with blood. Only with such signing, according to the beliefs at the time, did a person actually become a witch or a servant of the devil. So Thomason continues to insist that she's a witch, telling Mercy all kinds of things that she's going to do, like boil and bake her or make her disappear, until Mercy is in tears and Thomason makes her swear not to tell their mother or father. That night at dinner, after the world's longest grace, Jeez, I was like, okay, yes, great, it's wonderful, can we eat? Uh, Catherine asked Thomason what happened to her silver cup. Thomason has no idea what happened to it, but Catherine says she's seen her messing with it before, so she must have done something with it. I've seen you look at it before, so. <laughs> you were thinking about that cup, I can tell. You got that cup look on your face. What the hell did you do with it? You got my cup. You know I hate you. <laughs> Go do more chores. <laughs> Come here, Caleb. You're the, you're the favorite. <laughs> I don't know why Mother's from Jersey. It wasn't even there yet. <laughs> well, Thomason continues to insist that she doesn't know where it is, which prompts Father to step in and say, if she doesn't know where it is, then she doesn't know where it is. But Catherine insists that it's Thomason who has done something and somehow lost it. Did a wolf vanish the cup too? Ouch. That had to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so Mother uh, obviously really blames Thomason mm -hmm. for Sam's disappearance. Well, William again reiterates that Thomason didn't touch the cup, but yet never goes so far as to admit that he's the one that took the cup to trade for the hunting supplies and instead just lets Thomason take the blame. Thomason then goes outside to put the sheep to bed for the night, but when she gets to the barn... That same hair William and Caleb saw earlier in the woods is now in the barn. Later that night in bed, Catherine tells William she thinks the family is cursed. She says, was Christ not let out into the wilderness to be ill-met by the devil? They should have never left the plantation. But William just believes it's just a test from God and that everything will turn around soon. There's no need to be so upset about a silver cup. But it's just not the cup missing that's the problem. Thomason has come into her womanhood, and it's time to kick her ass out to serve another family. So to appease Catherine, William agrees to take her into town tomorrow and trade her to another family. Meanwhile, all four of the kids are wide awake and have heard this entire conversation. It's so shitty. It's horrible. Can you imagine hearing your parents talk about getting rid of you no i i just i cannot even fathom no well the next morning caleb is up early and set to leave the farm but thomason catches him and demands to know where he's going he says he thinks he has a way to make sure the family is fed and thomason won't have to be traded off to another family 
Thomason insists on going with him. Caleb resists, but Thomason threatens to wake their parents, so she successfully blackmails her way onto the journey. So the two head off into the woods, family dog Fowler in tow, and they make their way to where William had shown Caleb the traps the other day. And today they've got a rabbit. So basically Caleb's plan was just to go back and see if they caught anything in the traps the father had already set out. Not a new original plan, but it's obvious he cares for his sister, albeit maybe just to stare at her tits. <laughs> but regardless, Caleb seems to be the only one that really cares about Thomason. On their trek through the woods, Thomason asks Caleb how much he remembers about their time back in England. More specifically, she wonders if he remembers the glass windows they had in their home. Of course, he was too young at the time and doesn't remember anything. This world is all he really knows, and luxuries such as having glass in your windows seems far-fetched and silly. But Thomason just thought they were beautiful. Just then, Fowler has discovered that hair again and is barking at it. He eventually gives chase, which spooks the horse Thomason is riding. Caleb decides to go after Fowler, but Thomason can't get the horse under control, and it throws her, knocking her unconscious. Next, we are back at the homestead and see the rest of the family is up and looking for Caleb and Thomason. But back in the woods, Caleb has lost sight of Fowler and has gotten turned around. He begins to pray, walking in a direction he hopes will lead him somewhere familiar. Off in the distance, in front of him, he hears Fowler yelp in pain, he runs to where the sound came from and finds the dog has been eviscerated. Back with Thomason, she wakes up to find the horse is gone and she's alone in the woods. But she can hear William calling for Caleb, so she runs back toward the farm for help. Meanwhile, Caleb is still lost in the woods, walking deeper and deeper, farther away from home. He managed to he manages to get sight of the hare again and gives chase, which only leads him to a hovel from which a beautiful woman emerges to seduce him. However, once she has Caleb in her embrace and kisses him, we see she's no beautiful woman at all. She's an old crone. Very tricky. Very tricky. Temptation. <laughs> now, it's unclear to me if this is the same witch that abducted and killed Sam, or if this is another witch, but regardless, Caleb has given in to temptation of lust and is now in the clutches of a witch. The screen then fades to black for a really long time. Yeah, I, I was like, uh is it over because yeah, i really <laughs> that's what i think we both said that we turned we uh it, are we done yeah i can see why people are confused <laughs> <laughs> that's because yeah i i obviously went in like knowing other people left confused so i was like man i get it i think i get why people are confused because i don't oh okay it's back all right okay nope still confused <laughs> Well, I suppose it's kind of about the halfway point. Maybe it's meant to be an intermission. Don't know why we need an intermission in an hour and a half movie. Uh, but hey, some people got to pee. A little breather. We could use it. Well, back at the homestead, Catherine is furious and, of course, blames Thomason for her brother's disappearance. She begs her mother to find favor in her eyes, but Catherine insists to know why they were out in the woods. Thomason says she can't tell her because she's made a promise to Caleb that she wouldn't. But when Catherine continues to hound her, William finally speaks up 
and admits that it was he who took the cup and traded it for the trapping supplies. That's why they were out there to try and bring back food for the family. But Catherine won't hear of it. She says she has broken... Nope. She says he has broken God's covenant by lying, and now he's lost another child because of it. Thomason tries to calm the situation by offering to tend to the goats and bed them for the night if it'll please her mother. Uh, so <laughs> there's this moment here. You know, they're having this argument, and everything's very tense. And Thomason, you know, she just really doesn't want her mother to hate her so mm -hmm. much. So she, she just says, look, you know, Here's what I can do. I will offer to go and do chores instead of being told to do something. I think we all know as teenagers when you kind of felt things were tense or you might be in trouble. Yeah. You'd start offering to do chores. Yeah. You know, um, can I, I'll clear the table for you. Yeah. I'll take care of it. Put those dishes down. I got, I got those. Look how helpful I can be. Please, please don't shoot me in the face <laughs> for the things I've done. <laughs> Look how clean my room is. It's never been dirty a day in my life. I also made you this card. It says, I love you. <laughs> I am perfect angel. <laughs> uh, but so she's made this offer and her mother was saying, you know, oh, it's raining. It'll keep till morning. And Thomason's like, oh, it's fine. You know, the rain doesn't bother me. I'll, I'll, if it'll please you, I want to go and do it. And, and so that's when the mother's like, oh, sweet girl, and holds her arms out. And Thomason comes over and thinks she's finally going to get some affection and the mother just goes, hurry back. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you think it's going to be this moment. She's like, oh, no, please. It's so sweet of you to offer. There's no need to go out in the rain. Mm -hmm. Go rest, my dear. Nope, just hurry back. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Love you, too. Good luck. Beware the hair. <laughs> well, as she's in the barn, she hears a noise from outside. When she goes to look... She discovers Caleb has returned, naked and delusional, barely conscious. They get him inside and attempt to bleed him, which would have been a common practice at the time, as it was believed bloodletting would cure illnesses. All while William looks on helplessly, knowing this is ultimately all his fault. So he just does what he does best and goes outside to chop more wood. <laughs> Well, the next morning, Mercy is in the barn talking to Black Philip, asking him what ails Caleb. Thomason demands to know what she's going on about, and Mercy tells her that Black Philip says that Thomason is wicked and put the devil in Caleb, and that's what's wrong with him. But Thomason says, damn your Black Philip, I would never hurt Caleb or any of you, and what she said by the creek that day was just a big old joke. But Mercy and Jonas just tell her that mother and father will find out that she is indeed a witch. Thomason chooses to ignore her irritating siblings and returns to her chore of milking the goat, but she quickly discovers there's no milk coming from the goat, only blood. No, thank you. No, very bad. The goat's milk has spoiled. Remember, we did see that hair in the barn, and according to the old tales witches would be disguised as hares and make milk go bad their specialty <laughs> spoiling they do. milk <laughs> here's one of the milk spoilers <laughs> well, back upstairs Catherine and william are sitting with caleb Catherine believes this is some sort of witchcraft but william thinks he's just sick so he makes a plan to return to the plantation in the morning to sell thomason to another family and get caleb to a doctor so we're still on that Thomason plan, still getting rid of this kid. 
But Catherine has no faith in that plan and really just wants to be back home in England. And ever since Sam died, her heart has gone cold and she can no longer feel the presence of God's love. A bit later, we see the family is out harvesting whatever corn can be salvaged to take to town to trade for a horse and Caleb's medical care. But as they're walking, they hear Caleb scream from upstairs. The family goes running up, only to find Caleb muttering to himself, Get the broad axe, he'll cut off her head. Get the narrow axe, he'll cut off her head. He then begins screaming and claiming someone is with him, and she's sitting on his chest and crushing his bowels. He's writhing and squirming in pain. His jaw locks up, and William has to pry it open with a knife, only to discover a partially eaten rotten apple in his mouth. The scene is very intense. It is super intense, and it's only going to get more so. Mm -hmm. Well, this just freaks everyone out. Catherine says that he's been bewitched, which, of course, starts Mercy and Jonas off accusing Thomason of being a witch, that she had danced with the devil and signed his book. Thomason pleads with them to stop and begs her parents to believe they are conspiring against her, But back then, all you needed was an accusation of witchcraft, and it became you to burden the proof otherwise. So William demands Thomason get on her knees and profess her love of the word of God. He then demands that the family gather and pray around Caleb's bed. But when they start the Lord's Prayer, the twins appear to have forgotten the words, which is super bad news. Catherine and William start freaking out, and when Thomason reaches out to them, demanding they say the prayer, the twins start screaming and fall back, appearing to be in pain. Now, keep in mind, back then, it was widely believed that a witch could not say the entire Lord's Prayer and could influence others to do the same. That is why the family is so upset when Mercy and Jonas are unable to finish the prayer. But just then, Caleb stirs and takes in a giant breath. He says, It's her, a cat, a crow, a raven, a great black dog, a wolf. She desires my blood. She sends them upon me. So he is having visions, and it sounds like he's having visions of the witch and all of her familiars, and they are all coming to get him. In the corner, Mercy and Jonas begin shaking on the floor and chanting, She desires of my blood! She desires of my blood! Caleb continues shouting, She sends her devils! I am thine enemy, wallowing in the blood and filth of my sins! He repeats this over and over as the rest of the family begins the Lord's Prayer again, but soon Caleb seems to wake and is lucid, smiling at the family but he looks off into the distance and begins to speak again. Cast thy light of countenance upon me. Spread her for me the lap of thy love. Wash me in the overflowing fountains of thy blood. Holy thine am, my sweet Lord Jesus, my Lord, my love. Kiss me with the kisses of thy mouth. How lovely thy are. Thy embrace, my Lord, my love, my soul salvation. Take me to thy lap as he opens his arms wide to what he perceives to be God's grace, as he experiences religious ecstasy as he passes away. It's probably the most incredible scene in the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. I I made note of it because I was like, holy shit, that kid blew that out of the water. And he did it in one take. Yeah, the whole speech was just 
it was it was amazing granted i was still lost didn't understand half of it <laughs> like you said the fact that he did it in one take and just it was just so you could feel it you know what i mean he mm-hmm. just did it so well i was just i was blown away cuz cuz thus far you know i mean i've i'd been appreciating everything we we've, we've seen and and you know i'm still enjoying the ride um but but it's been a slow burn, you know, mm-hmm. um, but things are really starting to amp up. And like, like I said, the scene is pretty intense. It starts off on a pretty intense note uh, and is only ramping up. And then we have this huge, you know, grand gesture of a speech. And yeah, I was just kind of like, that was crazy, but it was so good. And yeah, he just, he, he nailed it for sure. Yeah. It, it, it's this speech. It, it's actually, and I apologize. I don't remember the name of it. I think it's paraphrasing from part of a poem, I believe. Uh, and it, it's unusual because it almost sounds sensual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, spread her for me, the lap of thy love. You know, my Lord, my love, kiss me with the kisses of thy mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, so it it sounds very seductive. Mm-hmm. Intimate. Yeah. Very intimate. More intimate than a, a simple relationship you would feel someone would have religiously. Mm-hmm. And so what I truly believe is happening in this moment, you know, of course, it, it seems like he's having this incredible religious experience that he has finally fallen into God's grace and he's being bathed in his light and love and that is what he wanted most of all he had this incredible fear uh, that he was not going to be one of God's chosen ones and at the end it, it makes it almost sound like he was however we know from his earlier babblings from his visions that it was the witch that was coming after him he could see her he could see all of her familiars Mm -hmm. and then he had that apple show up in his mouth that wasn't there before she has bewitched him and that I think was kind of a representation of that original sin it had a single bite out of it but it was rotting it was you know this is a representation of your sin out in the forest you gave in to that temptation you kissed me and you know whatever else happened kid came back naked so he has already fallen under the spell of the devil Mm -hmm. and so i think this final moment uh is is not god that he's experiencing i i think that's a total illusion and and i think he too as most of these family members are has given into his sin and has become property of the of the devil yeah it's still a good speech. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> so good. I, you know, up to this point, I was kind of iffy on this kid, but he, he was doing fine. But man, this scene came phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. flew it out of the water. So good. Well, Caleb's death scene here and Jonas and Mercy's behavior during it is based on actual trial records from the Salem witch trials, which allowed for spectral evidence, meaning... You know, you could have someone come up and do one of these little, you know, spells and that could be considered evidence. Yeah, the whole time uh, this this scene was happening, I was definitely getting those those same vibes from what I've learned through research and stuff of the, the Salem witch trials. Just like you said, the, the exact uh, kind of mockery that the crowds 
would do and, and thus create more chaos and blame and accusations against people and stuff like that. It's just, it's still even today, you know, knowing that that stuff really happened is, is just mind blowing to me. Yeah, because I mean, there's no doubt when you're watching this that the twins are faking mm-hmm. and it's just infuriating. Yeah. Uh, we know that, well, I mean, we're pretty sure that Thomason isn't a witch and the fact that she's having to defend herself, it's so frustrating. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's infuriating. <laughs> and then there's this part of me that's like, okay, if she is a witch, they're annoying. So like <laughs> they probably deserve it. <laughs> well all this is to say that things don't look good for thomason who has now lost two brothers under her care and two little shit twins who are happy to let everyone believe she's made a pact with the devil she runs outside and william chases after her he apparently wants to try and comfort her but then he tells her she needs to be straight with him because come tomorrow He can't do anything to help her if she doesn't tell him the truth because a council is going to be called and she will have to stand trial as a witch. So dad came out to comfort, but he still don't believe. And and that has to be horrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's not that helpful for him to be like, hey, it's okay. But also I need you to be up straight with me because these witch vibes you're giving off (laughs) a little heavy right now, my dude. Okay. Tomorrow, all of us judging you so right now me and you look here at my eyes be real because i know if i ask you're absolutely going to tell me the truth (laughs) also what is this pointy hat in the closet what is this (laughs) and you offer to sweep way too often you have a relationship with that broom i don't want to know about yeah it's too much a little too weird around here (laughs) I don't trust your mom. She's weird. <laughs> and those twins hate them. Oh, they're horrible. They're and, the worst. And you, well, granted, you've done nothing wrong, and I have no reason not to trust you. Sketchy. <laughs> That's right. You've been the best out of all of them, but yet I'm going to say you're evil. <laughs> Pretty sure that's right. But something about you doesn't add up. <laughs> so, hmm, I don't know. Well, she turns on him and says, what, you don't believe me? To which he replies that he saw the serpents on his son and the twins forget their prayers. She again tries to tell him that they lie, but he knows what he saw. Caleb disappeared with Thomason. She's the one who found him when he came back, and now he's dead. He knows Christ will forgive them if she just speaks the truth. And so if he wants the truth, she's going to give it to him. So she tells him that she knows that he and mother plan to sell her off. He's the one that took mother's cup, and yet he just let her take the blame for it. She tells him he's a hypocrite, and that he's the one that originally took Caleb to the woods, and he let her take the blame for that too. He can't bring any of the crops to yield. He can't hunt. All he's good for is chopping wood. Well, he calls her a bitch and knocks her to the ground. She tells him to go ask the twins what's really going on. They're the ones who talk to Black Philip all day long and reminds him that the adversary often comes in the shape of a he-goat and whispers. Black Philip is the devil and they all fucking know it. It's the twins and that goat that has cursed this farm. 
So now William is pissed, so he picks up Thomasin and drags her inside, forcing her to tell her mother about the twins and Black Philip. William tries to wake the twins, who are still lying unconscious on their parents' bed, demanding they tell him whether or not they made a pact with the goat, but the twins refuse to wake. Finally, William asks Catherine to get his bill hook, and he'll smash Jonas's skull in. This, of course, terrifies both Jonas and Mercy, and the two miraculously wake up, screaming, Fakers. Assholes. <laughs> well, now William doesn't know what to think or who he can trust, and he throws Thomason and the twins into the barn with all the goats, including Black Philip. He tells them that they're leaving for the village in the morning, and they are to think upon their sins until then. Eventually, everyone calms down, and Thomason Point Blake asks the twins if they're witches. They never confirm or deny. They just ask Thomason if she's one, which she denies. She then asks if Black Philip really speaks to them, but then nobody answers. We see William and Catherine bury Caleb out in the field. Uh, I read somewhere that this scene was supposed to be an homage to some sort of famous painting, I'm afraid I don't know which one, so if anyone recognizes it, let us know. I'm I'm really curious to see the original and make the comparison. Yeah, me too, because I had no idea. Well, next we see William back to the old woodchopping again, but this time he has himself a bit of a mental breakdown. I mean, it's been a long time coming. He's due, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he finally confesses to God, saying, I am infected with the filth of pride. Dispose of me how you will, yet redeem my children. And this has really been the first selfless moment William has truly had. Certainly everything he had done to help his family up to this point was with good intentions, but we all know what they say about those. And if you have to deceive your family in order to do what you perceive as helping your family, then how are you really helping them? But alas, I believe he makes a pretty big error in his prayer at the end. It truly sounds like he is attempting to sacrifice his soul in exchange for the salvation of his children's souls. But the last thing he says is, Save my children, I beg thee, my Christ, I have not damned my family. Which to me just speaks to his prideful nature again. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I truly believe he doesn't want his children to burn in eternal fiery damnation. But more importantly, he doesn't want to be perceived as the one responsible for what happened. Yeah. Which ultimately, it, it's his pride that got them sent out here in the first place. So everything that happened after that is ultimately his fault. Uh, but he doesn't want to be perceived that way. So again, that pride continues to, to get in the way. Well, later that night, everyone is sleeping when Catherine gets up in the middle of the night. As she is lighting a candle, she sees her silver cup has been returned and is sitting on a table. This causes her to turn around where she sees Caleb holding Sam in a red blanket, by the way. And here are the three things she desires most, her sons and her precious silver cup. Caleb tells her that they can come back and visit her more often if she would like. And oh yes, she would like that very much. He says, no problem. Um, by the way, I, I brought this here book uh, <laughs> if you want to look at it with me. She agrees and then says that Sam needs to be fed 
and she undoes her nightgown to nurse him. While outside in the barn, something else has arrived and we hear it land on the roof. The twins get really nervous and can now see what appears to be a woman feeding off the teat of one of the goats. They approach the goat, calling her name Flora. I was confused at first as to who the fuck Flora was. Mm-hmm. It took me a minute to figure out that's the goat. I'm like, do they know the witch? <laughs> Excuse me, uh, Flora, you know that's not your goat, right? This is way past visiting hours. <laughs> Simply rude. Flora, today's not your day. Tomorrow is, you know that. <laughs> Sweetie, no goats for you. What'd we say? <laughs> Check-in time is 8 a.m. All right, you're a little early, Flora. Bye, I need you to go back home. Mm-hmm. It's Sarah's turn tonight. She's waiting outside. This is getting embarrassing, Flora. Seriously, this old crone. Uh, but the woman turns around and we see it is indeed the old crone, the witch of the woods, and she actually cackles at them. We then cut back to Catherine in the house, but we see past her delusion and can see that she isn't nursing Sam. There is actually a raven pecking at her breasts as she holds an empty red blanket and sighs in ecstasy. So mom's gone. She has signed Satan's book all in return for getting to spend more time with what she thinks is Caleb and Sam. Uh, but uh, nope. Nope, no. nope. Very bad. Very, very bad nipple gone now. Yeah, I was, uh, I think this was, I don't know, at this point I had lost count. But yet another time I turned around and I was like, I still don't know <laughs> what is happening. <laughs> It's the devil. (laughs) Real quick, going back to Old Crone in uh, Shed. uh, This, of course, I believe is supposed to be the same Old Crone that took Sam in the first place. So this witch, the actress who plays her, you're never going to believe what her name is. Flora? Bathsheba. (gasps) Really? Dead serious. Her name is Bathsheba Garnet. Oh, how fun. I love that. I love that, too. Uh, Of course, Bathsheba is the name of the witch in The Conjuring. Also, shouldn't be her name because that was stolen from a perfectly normal woman who we've now smeared her name, but that's fine. But I just thought that was a a very interesting connection. Yeah. Uh, She actually has some other creepy credits. She was in an episode of Goosebumps. Uh, She was in A Night in Terror Town, parts one and two. Do you remember that one? Yes. All right. Uh, She also played a homeless woman in P2, Uh uh, another horror movie we really like. Yeah. She was also in a horror movie called The Echo, which I'm not familiar with. But here's a credit I thought was interesting. Not creepy, just interesting. She also played the German teacher in Mean Girls. What? That is very bizarre. (laughs) No idea. Well, there you go. That's Bathsheba Garnett. The more you know. Well, the next morning, William wakes. Catherine already appears to be awake, just lying in bed, and we can see the blood on her nightgown from where the raven pecked at her breast. William goes outside and discovers all of their livestock have been slaughtered. The front of the barn is smashed open with Thomason unconscious on the ground, and both twins are missing. This, this, uh, this doesn't help Thomason's case. No. This, this looks bad. Very bad. Yeah. Yeah, she's going to get grounded for sure. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Well, Thomason wakes to see her father looking at her and the carnage around her. 
and she knows he thinks she's responsible. But before she can begin to plead her case, William is hit with a devastating blow to the stomach by none other than Black Philip. Man, it came out of nowhere. Scared the shit out of me. Yeah, same. It's just all of a sudden he's standing there and... Yeah. It's like, what the hell? And it's kind of like a little bit off camera a little bit. Like, at first I thought it was like something supernatural. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, at first, second, I was like, whoa, 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 this is a twist. I was not expecting. <laughs> We're throwing more shit in. We're throwing more shit in. <laughs> well, William, severely injured in the attack, grabs an axe to defend himself. But as he and Black Phillip stare at each other to prepare for battle, William says, corruption, thou art my father, as he throws down the axe, just as Black Phillip charges him again, slamming him into his precious woodpile that tumbles down, burying William in his symbolic sins. Uh, so what just happened here? So apparently William gives in. Uh, he was going to try and defend himself and then realizes, I can't fight it anymore. And and I actually think this is his salvation. I, d- I don't think it got him into heaven. Uh, he's already had too many sins. He's burned that bridge. Uh, But I think this is the moment where he truly believes, okay, I have to accept my fate. I'm going to go to hell and hopefully me making this sacrifice and giving myself up will save the rest of my living family. Which, you know, (laughs) at this point, as far as he knows, they're down to two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, of course, all of this happens right in front of Thomason. She gets up and goes over to where her father lay on the ground. But all of a sudden, Catherine comes out of nowhere and grabs Thomason by the head, demanding to know where the twins are. But Thomason swears she didn't do anything and that the witch came from the sky and took them. But Mom ain't hearing it and immediately accuses Thomason, saying she has their blood on her hands, uh, which she holds up and she indeed does have blood on her hands, and that she has made a covenant with the devil. She even bewitched her own brother and she calls her a slut. She said, did you not think I saw thy sluttish looks to him, bewitching his eye as any whore, and thy father next? And I, there's the rub. That's the true issue Catherine has had with Thomason this whole time. It's that she's young and beautiful and stole the affections of her son and may lose her husband as well. Jealousy is thy name. This bitch had it so bad, she was willing to sell her own daughter just to get her out of the way. And of course, none of it was real. Thomason never had any affection for her brother or father Mm -hmm. other than what is expected and appropriate for those relationships. All of this was just in Catherine's head. Yeah. So here we see what Catherine's sin is. Jealousy. Also vanity, because she was really stuck on that damn silver cup. Well, Catherine ain't done yet with the accusations and throws Thomason to the ground, screaming at her that she killed them all. Thomason just keeps crying to her mother, I love you, I love you. But mom has lost her shit and is beating the crap out of Thomason until Thomason is able to grab a knife and slashes Catherine across the face. But this just pisses Catherine off more and she begins to viciously strangle Thomason, I mean, it looked real. Yes, this whole scene is fucking crazy. It is intense. Well, Thomason is forced to stab her mother in the head, killing her. 
Thomason lies on the ground, weeping and broken, embracing her mother lying dead on top of her. She then goes quiet, pushes her mother off of her, and stands up to quietly stare out into the woods. She then goes inside and removes some of her bloody clothing. She then sits down at the table, wraps a blanket around her, and falls asleep. She awakens later that evening to hear bells chiming. She follows the sound and goes out to the barn where she asks Black Philip to speak to her. And just when you think this is silly and there's no way this goat is going to say a word and Thomason starts to leave, a voice off screen whispers, What does thou want? Thomason turns back and is like, What you got? <laughs> and Philip's all like, What's thou like the taste of butter? A pretty dress. Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? To which Thomason says, How lovely, yes, I will have all of those, thank you. I love butter and dresses <laughs> and living deliciously, thank you. Uh, actually, she just says yes, but wants to know what he wants in return, to which Philip says... Uh, well, I just so happen to have this here fancy book, and if you care to put your old John Hancock in there, oops, we don't know who that is yet. Uh, that document's going to be real fun. Uh, <laughs> I digress. Just sign your name, and we'll be good. <laughs> uh, but Thomason tells him she doesn't know how to sign her name. It's at this point we see that Philip is now in more human form as we see a black gloved hand slide over Thomason's shoulder. Philip tells her, no worries, I got you. I'll guide your hand. In our final scene, we see Thomason walking naked off into the woods with Black Philip, now back in goat form, trailing behind her. She comes across a group of women covered in blood, chanting and singing around a fire in the woods as they perform a ritual that makes them all fly up into the air. Thomason fits right in with her new family as she too is naked, covered in blood from the events on the farm earlier in the day, and she begins to laugh and revel in her new freedom as she too floats up into the air to fly around with the rest of her new coven. Pretty dang good. Pretty damn fantastic. I agree. So surprising. So so surprising and and you know I enjoyed it as I was watching it and it was when it was over I was really excited about it uh my brain hadn't processed it all yet but it was happy and joyful it was going to get to mull on this and then once I sat there with it for a while and uh I really kind of sussed things out I was like oh this was good this was <laughs> really really good yeah I I agree I I really thought that I was going to struggle through this more than I did. And so the fact that I was even able to sit through the whole thing and like not be consistently on my phone or just completely lost and the fact that like falling asleep or nodding off is, is just incredible. <laughs> I, it was more than I thought I was going to be able to get from this movie. And so to go even further and actually say that I enjoyed it and that I would totally, you know, uh, be down to to rewatch it again I think is just saying so much for this movie because I just we when we were playing out this month uh, I this was definitely on the uh 
okay, we will do this movie. We're going <laughs> to we'll, tackle it. We'll list. trudge through it. Yeah. And it just, it was so surprising. And I, it really is one of the, the new movies that I can say that I'm glad that I took the opportunity to see. Yeah, absolutely. Same. It, it is so well done, so beautifully done. Uh, it just it, spot on. Historically, I think in reading a few things, the only complaint I could find historically speaking was someone was saying maybe uh their use of you was incorrect sometimes Mm -hmm. like that should have been a more formal thing than familiar with your family I was like well what a nitpicky thing to say but I mean that's just a testament to how accurate this was that that's to the length somebody has to go (laughs) to complain about the accuracy is is something as trivial as that so just so well done just Mind-blowing. Fantastic. A tour de force, if you will. <laughs> so let's let's talk about a few of the other things, some of the questions I've seen uh, that really come up with this. So the big one is, was she or wasn't she? Uh, there seems to be some debate at the end of whether or not Thomason was actually a witch the entire time. And, you know, what we see at the end is just kind of her accepting that more or whether she really just true truly came to it at the end and I think definitely I I didn't think there was any question it was there at the end when she actually goes to sign the book you know you can't have any of these powers until you actually sign that book so she couldn't have been a witch before uh without signing yeah yeah I I agree that for me that wasn't really a question at all but I can I can definitely see I mean, obviously, it's the title of the movie. You're expecting the whole time for somebody to be a witch. And, and especially since there's a lot of um, fingers pointed the whole time mm-hmm. at, at her, it's it's easy to uh, question that. But yeah, I agree. For me, that wasn't a huge um, point of confusion uh, when, it ca- when it came to that part. Right, right. Uh, another thing that, that people were very confused about I guess these I kind of lump in in conjunction. One is, what was the point? Why did she need to kill Sam? Why did the baby have to die? And what happened to the twins? They just kind of disappear, and we assume that the witch took the twins, but that we never see them again. Mm-hmm. So we're just left to assume that they're dead. Uh, so the whole deal with Sam's death and the twins disappearing... So the rendered fat of an unbaptized child, usually male, uh, is an ingredient in witch's flying ointment. So along with uh, poisonous and hallucinogenic herbs such as belladonna, hemlock, nightshade, and wolfsbane, supposedly a witch would rub this flying ointment on herself and her broom in order to fly. So baby Sam was taken in order to make this ointment. Because remember, we see her slather herself in his blood and fat, put it all over her broomstick, and then at the end, we see her fly off in kind of the traditional into, you know, the silhouette against the moon kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So at the end, obviously, we have an entire coven of witches, and and they are going to want to, to fly as well. Uh, so that's where Mercy and Jonas came in. And it uh, we see those witches are covered in blood. And so therefore, they they met the same fate. And it, they had enough to go around <laughs> that they made the whole coven fly. 
And the reason I believe that Thomason was able to fly at the end is remember her mother said their blood is on your hands. She had their blood on her already. Uh, so when that ritual was performed, since she already had that blood on her, mm-hmm. she was able to fly as well. There you go. There you go. Easy peasy. Now we all know how to fly. <laughs> it just takes a baby. Just takes a baby. Just put the baby in the driver's seat. Let them do the flying. <laughs> you are the passenger. They are incredible pilots. Most people don't know that about babies. <laughs> Another piece of trivia that I found interesting. Uh, when Black Philip asks Thomason, wouldst thou like the taste of butter? Uh, obviously, he's referring to these luxury items. Uh, and this is something he knows that she fancies because of this conversation, if you remember, she had with Caleb about these windows, these glass windows they had in their house, how beautiful they were and the seeing the sunlight come in. And he's like, that that's, you know, a luxury item. And, you know, we moved away from all that. We, we live a, a pure, simplistic lifestyle. We don't have things like that kind of thing. So uh, Satan is already well aware of the temptations that could draw Thomason in, which I truly believe my theory is that was his goal the entire time. The The whole rest of the family is lost. You know, we have these two Satan twins that are just born bad. Uh, and we already know that they've made a pact with the devil because they can talk to Black Philip. We know dad is bad because it's his sin of pride that got them kicked out of the colony to begin with. We know mom has fallen and signed the book. Her sin is jealousy. And then we know Caleb's sin was lust, and he gave in to the temptation of the witch in the woods. So all the family has already fallen to Satan. And I I believe at this time his whole goal is to turn Thomason. She is the innocent pure one. We see her at the beginning you know, confessing her sins and and is begging for the Lord to show her mercy and put her back on the path of righteousness. And she gets nothing. She she gets nothing from him. Everything just falls to shit afterwards. And instead of returning to her faith and using that to bolster her during these horrible tough times, no matter how hard it gets, here comes Black Philip or Satan and he says, look, you've lost everything. Of course, I'm the one who took it away from you, but, you know, that doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters here, you have nothing. I can give you everything. You have nothing. I can give you butter. <laughs> I can give you butter, pretty dress. You want that glass? I give you glass and heartbeat. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, she jumps at the chance. She's, she's done. She's over it. She's ready to be free. I don't blame her. Her family was bananagrams horrible 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 and you know that's that's kind of the argument for for people who get uh a little overzealous and strict is is that you tend to you know turn those in your care away from that because it's just so oppressive instead of letting them come to that naturally Mm -hmm. so so yeah there you go that's that's the witch that's the witch i loved it i did too i think uh, you know, kind of like I said off the top, I think if if you've been avoiding this movie for any reason, uh, you know, outside of just generally being uncomfortable with horror or whatever, I, I think it's worth giving it a try. I think, you know, 
One of my favorite things that I ever uh, heard as uh, a reader is, you know, when, when an author writes a story and they put it on paper, the story is no longer theirs. The story is yours as the reader. You get to create the story you want to read. You get to comprehend it however you want to. And that's how it is with movies, too. You know, just because your theory doesn't align with Whitney's or whoever else, you know, podcast you're listening to or YouTube video you're watching, if your theory is completely different, that's, I think, the cool and kick-ass part of stories and movies is we have these, you know, creative people creating these stories for us to enjoy but once it's out of their hands and it's out there in the world it's our brains that get to do what we want with it and that's what I think is cool about this movie is like I hadn't a clue the whole damn time what the fuck I was watching (laughs) but the whole time I was just fully in it and and being able to still be able to enjoy it and kind of in my head be like okay granted yes I can't comprehend this right now at a deep level I'm able to take this story and create it and make it what I want to enjoy this and and take it as I want at a surface level right now and I'll think on this later and I think if if that's what you have to do to get through this movie to realize on the other end how much you really like it I say go for it yeah it it was definitely worth a watch and and still no matter how much uh we try and bolster it up there's, it's just not going to be for some people, and that's fine, too. At least we hope you had some fun listening to us talk about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We we had a lot of fun watching it. Well, of course, we're not done yet. We got a few prompts to get to. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Well, what was your popcorn spiller? So, for me, it was that at point whenever the dad was impaled by uh, Black Phillip. At the end there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's mine. 100%. Scared the shit out of me. Yeah. It was It was one of the only moments that I think quite literally made me, like, jump. Mm-hmm. So that was already a big aspect of it. But it was. It was a really, I mean, big moment in kind of the crescendo of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. It was, it was an easy pick as a popcorn spiller for me. Agreed. So who ended up being your scene stealer? You know, I had to go with Caleb same (laughs) oh god that scene with that kid when he makes that speech holy shit so good yeah yeah it was it was phenomenal it was funny because you know I when we're watching these movies we always kind of put out our prompts and you know we're thinking the whole time as we're watching the movie and you know I was enjoying everybody kind of at face value but there wasn't anybody that was like throughout the whole thing that was stealing anything right away. Oh yeah, all of the performances were stellar, but no one was really killing it. Exactly, exactly. And and again, I for, for me, I was blaming it on the fact that again, this just isn't my normal jam. And so I was like, I'm having a hard time, you know, finding anybody that I'm just like, yes, they're doing this so well because this just isn't my normal thing. Mm-hmm. But the moment you know he gave his speech, and I was just literally in awe I was like okay it goes to him because he literally just stole this whole last scene (laughs) yeah he stole the movie yeah yeah Yeah. uh because not only do we have this scene with this incredible monologue that he does in one take but immediately after he finishes that and kind of has this almost orgasmic moment uh he dies Mm -hmm. and the camera still does not cut away and mother uh, you know immediately swoops down and is like smacking his face and trying to wake him he never blinks he Mm -hmm. never breathes it's i mean it's incredible yeah yeah it's so good well all right then what was your gorgasm for this one 
So for mine, it was actually the um, kind of ending scene between Thomason and her mom. The fight scene, there's a, there's the uh, part where Thomason stabs her in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's on top of her, like, strangling her. And her blood is, like, dripping all over Thomason's face. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't, like, an overly bloody scene or anything. No. In fact, on the gore scale, this movie's pretty tame yeah yeah and that's why I, originally i was like i'm gonna have a tough time finding something for this but watching that scene she's like thomason of course they're they're fighting and thomason's kind of like yelling and screaming at her so her mouth's open and her mom's blood is just like all over her face and falling <laughs> in her mouth and the whole time i'm just thinking close your mouth stop it <laughs> you're getting so much drippy blood in your mouth and so I think that was enough for me to be like, oh, this is this is uh, not fun. I'm uncomfy and it's making my skin itch. So drippy blood from mom's head. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, like we said, not too much gore here. However, that being said, that doesn't mean there aren't uncomfortable moments. This whole movie, like I said at the beginning, just is under your skin the whole time. Mm-hmm. You just feel like you are on the verge of something terrible happening at any moment. And so my gorgasm wasn't so much gore, although we do see blood in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's the whole crazy scene at the beginning when the witch kills Sam. Yeah, yeah. Only because it happens so early in the movie and you literally have no idea what the fuck is going on. Oh yeah, a thousand percent. I, I couldn't tell if it was male or female, and at one point, I'm sorry, this is disturbing to say, but I thought it was having sex with the baby. I, okay, I did too. And I'm going to be 100% honest because like, if we weren't watching this for the podcast for like a split second, I was like, oh, I'm uncomfortable with mm-hmm. this. Yep. And uh, yeah, I <laughs> immediately, I was just like, what the fuck did we just get ourselves into? Because yeah. this was totally not was I was, like you said, it was right off the top. And just not what I was expecting at all. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can thousand percent get behind that as the uh, that moment because it was yeah. a lot. It, it was a lot. I, it was very disturbing. I was like, I do not like this at all. I still I don't s- quite know what happened. I, I think that's when she's skinning it and rendering the fat. She's cutting it up and chopping it up and just preparing it and we can't see what's happening that's why this is a whole question of what was really going but you see her from behind and there's kind of a undulating action going on as she's doing it so and at that point like I said we couldn't tell if it was male or female so yeah it was just it just made me so uncomfortable and then of course we do get blood in there so that's what I put as my gorgasm that was just kind of like ooh, no 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 yeah I don't, I don't like it yeah so that's a that's a good point to make is like that might be a possible like trigger warning for people that are going to watch this movie if that's something you're sensitive to it's literally like part of the opening scene so you might fast forward maybe I don't know five minutes don't you think I think it uh, might be a little bit further in than, than that bit. might be 10 15 minutes in yeah you'll know as soon as you see little red riding hood running through the woods with the baby it you'd be good to fast forward yeah yeah it's a little bit of a, a weird tough confusing watch yeah just bizarre yeah so then that leads us to uh our memorable mortality who was who is that for you for me it's caleb's death caleb's yeah that was originally who it was for me and then it was a toss-up between that and um dad and i I ended up going with dad ultimately because a the scare the 
jump scare got mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. and b it was just kind of like the I don't want to say cherry on top because that's kind of an asshole thing to say but just I mean this whole thing started with him and so we're getting to kind of see the uh, final chapter in, in his story and kind of see it's come to fruition the way it did it was kind of a satisfying end I guess like karma yeah exactly it, it felt uh, justified I think in 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 his actions and inaction sometimes and so yeah that's who I ended up choosing for mine was just the dad and and basically a lot of it had to do with the jump scare because Black Phillip just scared the shit out of me <laughs> whenever he comes jumping in scene like a fucking maniac uh, but even my second viewing I knew it was coming and it's almost like it happens a split second before you anticipate it mm-hmm. like the timing is weird on it so it even caught me off guard the second time and I was like damn it yeah <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a it's a good one. So I don't even know if we need to ask the last one because we're obviously going to leave this one in the dead zone. We didn't like it, <laughs> hated it. <laughs> that I mean, what a twist! <laughs> you thought surprise. we liked it the whole time. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, dead zone or vault? Question? Uh, Not a question. Not a question. It's going in the vault. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm surprised. I'll be honest, you guys. I thought I was going into this week. It barely gonna trudge through this movie and then come into this episode and be like guys I love you but this movie was not my jam and uh here I am just getting through it but it was it was pretty darn good and I'm shocked yeah I I thought it was amazing well done I can't wait to see what he does next yeah yeah we've had lots of listeners ask for hereditary in this movie so I'm excited to hear your guys's thoughts on if you've watched this movie, if you haven't, and if you haven't, what are your thoughts now that you <laughs> heard us talk about this crazy ass movie? <laughs> it's 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 a wild movie, so I'm excited that we're finally tackling it and that we finally saw it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'd be really interested to know if anyone has different theories. Uh, I'd love to hear those. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's super exciting. I would love to start a discussion in uh, the Dead Zone discussion room about it. I think that would be so fun to hear people's different takes on this and maybe different symbolism that they picked up. I just love that shit. Oh yeah, me too, 100%. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 24 is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Next, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link to our socials and our Facebook group. And lastly, be sure to check us out next week as we'll be watching yet another hit from A24, and that's going to be The Lighthouse from 2019. And if you want to check out that trailer, don't worry, we've got you. That link is also down in the show notes. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob. 
After last week's screening, they helped one of our stranded guests find their way out of the dead zone. Not a big deal. Occasionally, sometimes people find the drive-in, then they can't figure out how to get back out. It's fine. It's fine. They were only here a couple weeks. Not a big deal. We fed them. We watered them. And now we grow their children in the back. It's it's great. <laughs> and remember, if you're looking for the dead zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. And William tells him he traded mother <laughs> he traded mother for it. We don't need her anymore. We already have enough children's. Are you here for a barter? <laughs> Why yes. I was wondering if you would if you would take my mother. <laughs> Could you use a mother? She also does just cry all day. <laughs> this one's broken. <laughs> she just weeps and prays, weeps and prays. <laughs> Shit gets weird later on in the movie, and really, I'd rather you take her now. <laughs> it doesn't go well. In fact, I'll pay you. Please take my mother. And this very annoying goat. <laughs> Package deal. As is. No returns. Thank you. Ever. Don't call me. I'll call you. Goodbye. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.